And we have been looking at the book of Nehemiah in our Sunday evening series and looking at a lot of the pictures about how Nehemiah is able to overcome obstacles and difficulties that stand before him as he serves God and is uh, given an important task that he has volunteered to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, to put things back into place and to bring a restoration to the people uh, while he is there. And, and that brings us to, to Nehemiah chapter 6, a lesson that I'm titling Focus, because uh, what we're going to see is a tremendous amount of focus and dedication that Nehemiah exhibits uh, and in doing so, it's going to, I think, show us a lot about uh, the way to deal with trials and hardships and staying focused in our efforts in serving God. Nehemiah is truly amazing in that picture. Uh, you'll notice in Nehemiah chapter 6, in the very first verse, it says, Now when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem and the rest of our enemies heard that we had built the wall. Let's just... Stop there because that's an important start point about uh, these guys. We have read about these three guys repeatedly uh, in the book of Nehemiah. Everything we've read about with these three fellows uh, is ultimately that they are leaders of the opposition. They are the ones who are causing all the problems back in chapter 2 in verse 10 that they were jeering at Nehemiah and the people and the very idea that they would dare rebuild these walls and saying it was absolutely ridiculous that they would do something like that in verse 19 they're brought up again is beginning to resist this idea that that they're going to build the walls and in fact are declaring well you've come back to rebel against Persia, that's why you're here. In chapter 4, you read about these guys again, and they're ramping up the opposition all the more, and the difficulties all the more. You might remember, not only are they mocking them, saying, you know, if a fox ran on that wall, it would all come falling down, but they even rally up a, a battle of sorts. They're getting people to physically confront and attack the workers on the wall to such a degree that it says some of the people as they're doing the work have a brick in one hand and a sword in the other in trying to do God's work. These three guys are the ringleaders of the problem. And so as chapter 6 opens with these words that now Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem and the rest of our enemies heard that we had rebuilt the wall, you immediately just kind of go, oh no, what are they going to do now? Uh, what is going to be their threat now at this point? Because there's been zero kindness, there's been zero goodness out of them whatsoever. You'll notice that verse 1 continues, they built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not yet set up the doors in the gates. So imagine the walls now are back up, and you have then the various gateways that you had to enter into the city of Jerusalem. So you have your large walls, but at various points in the walls, you have gates for people to enter and come in and out of. Well, the doors are not up yet, so the city's not quite secure yet. The walls are up, but we have wide open doors, essentially, because there are no doors. So he says, I'm going to get all those, those doors put up next. It says there in verse 2, Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come. Let us meet together at Hakafarim in the plain of Ono. 
but they intended to do me harm. A really interesting beginning point that is given here is you have them saying, well, now that you've got those walls and we want to have a chit chat, we want to have a talk. And so we want you to come meet with us out in this plane out here. And we need to have a meeting and we need to talk about all of this. I want you to notice what Nehemiah responds in verse three. In verse three, it says, I sent messengers saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. I love the first picture of focus that Nehemiah has. And his picture is, it's not about talk. Here they go, you know, we need to have a meeting. Let's let's have a discussion about what's going on here and about these walls and about these gates. And we need to have a powwow about it and get out here in the middle of the plane and we'll we'll talk about it all. Maybe we can sort all this out. And notice that Nehemiah says, we're not going to talk about that. We're, we're not going to have a discussion. We're, we're not going to sit down and have a meeting about all of this. When I notice uh, the reasoning why that he gives there in verse three, he says, why should the work stop? While I leave it to come down to you. It's really a pretty simple answer. I have an important work that needs to be done. I have a critical work that God has given me. What do we have to talk about? (laughs) Why do we need to have a gathering? Why do we have a meeting? Especially because the point of the meeting is to stop him from working. You know, come out. He's not going to have the meeting right there next to the wall while they're working. No, we're going to go out here to the middle of this plane. We're going to go out here somewhere far away. And we're going to have a big old discussion about all of this. And so I think it's a very important picture is that is given to us is that we should not be stopping the work that God has given us for discussions and meetings. And I think it's interesting how persistent they are in this. Four times. You need to come out here and we need to talk about this. We need to have a discussion. We need to sort this out. We need to figure this out. Nehemiah goes, I've got an important work. I'm not going to leave this work. I think in this idea of focus, there's a couple of things for our consideration. Number one, I think it is important for us to to be warned that one of the things you see Nehemiah refusing to do is talk about the problem and never do anything about it. You know, it'd be one thing he could come there to Jerusalem and go, wow, we've got a really big problem. We need to, you know, get the walls built and, and get the gates back up and get secure on all of this. And just always talk about everything that they need to do and never have the focus to go about and carry it out. And I want you to see something that is really emphasized in the life of Nehemiah, that he is all about, let's get this done. Let's get this work accomplished. This is an important work that God has called us to do. And we need to get this this work done. Now, one of the things I want you to think about in that. Now, you may have not had this experience. But if you have, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Uh, Sometimes you will be in a place where we're going to get everybody together and talk about the work that we need to do. And then never actually get something done. Commonly, there'd be like these these church business meetings. And so what we're going to do is in a month, we're going to talk about all these things that we need to be doing. 
And it seems like it's a universal thing, no matter who I ever asked about this. What usually happened at the end of the meeting is that the issues would be tabled till next month, and we'd talk about it again next month. (laughs) And then next month rolls around, and, okay, we said we would talk about all this, and so we talk about it for an hour or two. And at the end of it, we go, all right, well, we didn't really come to a decision, and so we'll probably have to talk about it next month. And it's just talking and talking and talking and talking. And I think it is interesting that Nehemiah goes, we just need to do it. This is a work that needs to be done. We're going to accomplish it. I'm not going to come out there into the middle of the, of the wilderness here, in the middle of the plain. And I'm going to talk about these things. And one of the things that I want you to observe, why did Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem want to talk about this? Why do they keep saying, we need to talk to stop the work? The reason why they kept bringing it up and we need to talk is to try to make sure nothing goes forward, to make sure nothing happens. Let's just keep it in the planning stages. Let's just keep it in the discussion stage. And it's a willful intent on their part to try to stop there from being the work that needs to be done because it sounds good on the surface, right? Hey, come out here to the plan of, oh, no, let's talk about all this. We need to have a discussion. And I appreciate the wisdom of of Nehemiah here that he observes here in verse three and says, I can't come down. I've got things to do. I have a work that needs to be accomplished. And so I think it's an important warning that's given here about not being ones who just simply talk about things that need to be done, but being the ones to carry it out. Nehemiah has exemplified that. When he gets there before the king and he has his opportunity in Persia, when the king realizes that there's something that he's upset about and it's okay, what is your problem? He says, well, how can I be cheerful while the walls of the city of my ancestors are torn down? And he doesn't just sit there and talk about, you know, oh man, it's just really bad. And I'm sure wish something. he goes, and I need to go back and do something about it. I'm going to be the worker. I'm not going to be the talker. I'm going to be the worker. I'm going to be the one to do. Nehemiah is is amazing with that kind of focus. And it is so important for us that as we recognize that we are all part of this body, all of us with different abilities, all of us with different gifts, that we each do the best that we can in the work that is given to us, that God has given that to us. I said this in a few lessons earlier. I'll say it again as a reminder because it's so important. You don't need permission to do what God has called you to do. You don't need to talk about, you know, you think it's okay if we have a Bible study? Of course it's okay for you to go have a Bible study. Do I need to get permission to go serve somebody? Of course you don't. You need to just go do that. You need to just go do the work that God has given you with the abilities and the talents and the gifts that you have. And it's not about having to have a meeting and a discussion about all that. You just go and do that work. And that's what Nehemiah is doing. And that's what he's encouraged these men to do. The second thing that I want to take away from this focus that you see him having is to realize that we need to be careful about not becoming the cause of the work stopping. That we would be careful that we are not the ones who cause the work to stop. Sometimes a work can come to a complete standstill because the flock is taking away attention from the work. And I think that is an important observation to see what Nehemiah does here and say, no, we just need to not do that. We need to get to the work. Here's what I mean by that. Now, 
What I am not saying, and I want to, I made sure I put this in bright pink in my notes to make sure I said this right here. What I am not saying is that the flock should never go to their spiritual leaders for spiritual help and spiritual direction. Obviously, that's why the shepherds exist. But I want you to think about it like this. If every family in a church is making sinful decisions, hurting lives and hurting others, think about every family doing that. Imagine how the work would come to a complete stop while the spiritual leaders are having to go around to every single family and deal with all of the various issues and problems that are going on. We have to have an awareness of there is this important work that is before us. And one of the most important things we can do as the people of God is live as the people of God so that we can stay on that focus. In fact, a lot of times why churches disintegrate or split or divide or have strife is because they lose focus of why we're here. This focus of we need to go save the lost. We need to rescue people. And it starts turning inward. And we start worrying about ourselves and we start thinking about ourselves. And why isn't anybody paying attention to me and my problems and my issues? And we all start kind of piling on each other about all of our our problems. It's important to remember what the work is before us. And I think Nehemiah does a great job in understanding that that idea that we cannot be effective in doing the work. And one of our primary missions is to reach the lost If we are causing problems with one another within the flock, we're going to have to stop what we're doing out there, rally up in here and figure out what's the strife, what's the problem, what's the fire, what's the issue. And only once all that finally gets calmed down, can we get back on track again? And so I think it's interesting to look at it from the other side of the perspective that we don't want to be the ones to stop the work. We want to be the ones who are motivating the work and encouraging the work and stirring the work up and not being the ones who drag the work behind. So Nehemiah, I think, is is really important in the picture of not wanting to willfully be a distraction to the work. That's what these three guys want to do. We're going to be a distraction. We're going to stop. We're going to do something to make this all slow down. And Nehemiah refuses to fall into that trap. I think in talking about that, then what that means is we really do have to see the importance of the work to really understand the mission of why we are here and what we are trying to do and desiring for every soul to hear the gospel, to give every opportunity for people to hear the truth and to do whatever we can to accomplish that task as individuals, as well as corporately as the people of God here. That is our focus and our mission And we don't want to lose sight of the importance of that's why we're here and what we've been called to do. So amazing focus here by by Nehemiah. I have a work that needs to be done and I cannot come down from the wall. Well, you'd like to suppose that these four, these the three men are going to say after their four times, okay, I guess we'll leave Nehemiah alone and we'll give up, right? But we've learned that these guys are persistent. They are absolutely persistent. So notice what they do now in in verse five. In the same way, Sam Ballot, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. 
And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So come now, let us take counsel together. Whew, that's vicious now. So can't get them to have a meeting. So for the fifth time they go, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to circulate this letter among everybody. And the letter says, we have confirmation from the surrounding nations and from Geshem himself. He's seen it. And we know that the reason you've put up the walls is to rebel and you want to make yourself king. In fact, we know you have prophets in place so that when the walls are complete, you're going to have the prophets stand up and say, Hail Nehemiah, the new king. And we know that's going to happen. So you need to come meet with us because we're going to send that letter out. And when the king hears about it, woo, you're going to be in trouble. So what's Nehemiah going to do with that? Uh, that that's pretty scary. You know, that, that's now you're bringing everybody in. Now you're telling everybody, oh, look what he's doing. He's going to make himself king. I want you to notice Nehemiah's response to this. His response is fascinating. Look at verse 8. I just love his answer. Then I sent to him saying, No such things as you have, as you say, have been done. For you're inventing them out of your own mind. <laughs> Friend, you are making things up. <laughs> there is no way that there is a bit of truth to that. These things are lies. I think it is interesting that Nehemiah does not, well, you know, I better stop the work and go deal with this threat. I guess I need to go out there and deal with these men and go meet in the plain of Ono because if I don't, this is going to spread a letter and it's going to cause a lot of problems. Get all the way back to me. Notice Nehemiah is unfazed. He just simply sends a message back and says, you know, you're lying. <laughs> you know, these things are not true. And then he continues in verse 9. Here's what he says. They wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. You surprised by his answer? One, he just says, no, that's not true. He prays to God, let's keep going. <laughs> you have to love that answer. He's not going to be distracted from the work. He's going to focus and not be afraid. He's not afraid of what these opponents are going to say. They're going to spread this letter, slander his name, say that he's trying to rebel. He's trying to make himself king. They're going to spread that all over the place. And all, here, here's his twofold defense. One, that's not true. And two, I'm going to just trust God. That, isn't that great? Uh, I, I'm just going to trust God. Love it in verse 9. But now go God. Strengthen. Strengthen our, our, our hands. I think it is important for us to observe then the whole, the whole picture that's given here. This is sometimes hard to believe, but it, it, it's true. Nehemiah is going through it. People will make up lies and start rumors to stop the work. I mean, that's what this just straight out is. They're just going to make things up about Nehemiah. I mean, Nehemiah has given no indication of this whatsoever. And yet now they concoct a whole story. And unfortunately, you will notice that there's supposedly support to this. I mean, imagine this letter going around saying, 
we have confirmation from Geshem and surrounding nations that this is what Nehemiah is doing. That sounds pretty legitimate. Sounds like it's a confirmation. Sounds like Nehemiah has gone off the track. And I want you to see how Nehemiah just stays focused on this work, even though it seems also credible. It's all a lie, which gives us a really important reminder, a really important reminder. You need to always go to a person before you believe a story. You need to always go to a person before you believe a story. I imagine Nehemiah is hoping and praying that that'll be the case that nobody's going to believe these lies but instead would trust in Nehemiah's character and go to him and ask him about what this letter contains. And he's putting his hope in God in that. It is sometimes could just be a misunderstanding. How many times has somebody said something or been some story about somebody or something and you go to that person and it turns out, you know, it's just all a misunderstanding. Just, it just, just totally, you know, communication just whiffed on that one. And, and it was just all a misunderstanding. And sometimes it can be darker motives. That happens. That's what's happening here. These are dark motives where essentially you have these men trying to slander Nehemiah and gossip against him and cause him trouble. And I, it's a useful reminder to us. The scriptures were clear. Gossip's a sin. And we can't participate in it. We can't be engaged in it. Not only could we be wrong about the information, but even just the spreading of it, of talking about other people and whatever in their lives, it just shouldn't happen amongst the people of God. And so one of the things that Nehemiah now is dealing with is gossip and slander. He's dealing with these charges that are being brought against him. And it's so important to remember that people that you would believe to be sincere, I mean, people are going to believe Geshem sincere. Hey, Geshem says that this is happening, could actually be false, could actually be making up stories, could actually be making up rumors. And we need to go to those individuals. I mentioned this a little bit in our Wednesday night class because we covered First Timothy in that survey, but useful to bring up right here that there is a reason that First Timothy 5 reminds Timothy that you do not bring a charge against the elders without two or three witnesses because this kind of thing is going to happen. This is the very thing that Nehemiah is dealing with is people are just going to say things. And there needs to be factual evidence and truth verification by multiple people to be able to confirm those things. And Nehemiah is dealing with that in the moment. And all he can stand up and say is none of those things are true. And I love verse nine. So strengthen my hands. We're just going to keep doing the work. They were hoping that we'd be so afraid we'd stop. We're not going to stop. Nehemiah says we're not going to allow fear. And I love that he does not stop the work to run around trying to squash all the lies and rumors. He just says, give me another brick and let's keep finishing the wall and let's get the gates hung up. Let's just get it done. Let's just keep going in the work. I'm not going to spend my time trying to deal with all of that. I'm going to do the work that God has given me to do. So we focus instead of having the fear of what may be or what may come of it, especially of lies and rumors that that may happen in that. I think that's important for us that we would pray that God would strengthen our hands to plow through any obstacles that we would face in our efforts to serve God. 
In your effort to do what is right, in your effort to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, in your effort to serve others and do what God has called you to do, that we would have this kind of determination for doing the work. I am going to stay focused on what God has called me to do. I'm not going to be worried about the opposition from unexpected places. I'm going to keep plowing forward and doing what God has called me to do. Do not give up. Lord, strengthen our hands and help us continue to follow our Lord. Well, you think they're done? Of course they're not done. They're relentless. Of course they're not done. Verse 10. Now, when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, son of Mehabal, who was confined in his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. Okay, now it's getting serious. So now we have a prophet who comes to Nehemiah and says, we need to get in the temple. We need to hide in there because they are actually coming to kill you. And we need to make sure you're safe. Listen to Nehemiah's response. Verse 11. Nehemiah said, should such a man as I run away and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him but that he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin, and so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to the things that they did, and also the prophetess Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. Woo. Third piece of focus, he says, I'm going to stay on the work and I am not going to sin. One of the things that is so interesting here is he gets a message that tonight you're doomed. You need to go into the temple and hide and and preserve your life. And you notice Nehemiah's first reaction and response is, I'm not going to run away. I'm right here. I'm going to keep doing the work. Who, Who am I to go and hide? Who am I? I'm just going to keep doing the work. And then notice he also recognizes in the rest of verse 11, I can't go into the temple and live. In short, I'm not going to sin to save my life. I'm not going to sin to avoid this this conflict. And Nehemiah, I think, is amazing because he recognizes the purpose in verse 13. He understands that the whole goal is to make him afraid. So that he will ultimately sin. And then all the opponents can go, see, ah, he's a sinner. He blew it. He's not really with God. And completely discredit what he's trying to do. And I think it's just great that Nehemiah was able to see through that. Now, how was Nehemiah able to see through that? Nehemiah is able to see through that because he knew the word of God. He knew the word of God said, you don't go in the temple. And it didn't matter if a prophet came along and said, hey, you should go in the temple. Nehemiah goes, I don't care that you're a prophet. I know the word of God and the word of God says, don't go into the temple. You might remember a similar circumstance that happens in 1 Kings 13. It's 
certainly a troubling scene where you have this young prophet who comes from Judah and he goes up to the north of Israel to proclaim judgments. And he's told specifically that he needs to not stop there whatsoever. Do not eat. Do not stop. Just go up there, proclaim your message, and you come right on back. And an old prophet encounters that young prophet and said, oh, I got a prophecy from God that said you should come back to my house and have a meal. And the young prophet believed it and was condemned. And we have the tendency to read them and go, oh, that doesn't seem fair. That doesn't seem right. The old prophet duped him. He completely lied to him. He fooled him. Why would the young prophet be under condemnation? The answer is very simple. Because God had told him, go up to Israel, speak your message, come back, don't stop, don't eat, and don't go to anybody's house. And it didn't matter who came along and said otherwise. And the same thing happened here. Nehemiah knew the word of the Lord. And he knew that the temple was not the place to go hide. He wasn't supposed to enter into there. And it didn't matter what prophet came along. He wasn't going to listen to what somebody else said. He was going to do what he knew the word of God said. Very much like the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 1. I don't care if an angel comes down from heaven and tells you something. If it is contrary to what the word of God says, you're not going to do it. You're not going to believe it. You're not going to follow it. The word of God is the place that we follow and come to and we seek not people. And I've stood on my head for years saying it. I'll keep saying it on my head and saying it. You don't listen to me or follow me, but you follow the word. It doesn't matter what I say. What matters is here. That's why I open it up and read it to you every time. Because who cares what I say? What matters is what this says. We follow it. And that's what Nehemiah understands. Prophet comes along. I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to follow. I know what they're trying to do. Verse 13. They want to give me a bad name in order to taunt me. So what's Nehemiah's response? Prayer again. I have to love that Nehemiah is handling all of this adversity with prayer. He tells the opponents no. He keeps doing the work and he leaves it in the hands of God to deal with it. Keeps praying. Keeps doing the work. Rejects the opposition over and over and over again. So much so that I think it is just an amazing picture of the kind of life that Nehemiah is trying to to live. These opponents are trying to do whatever they can to discredit Nehemiah. They're going to say whatever they can say. They're going to do whatever they're going to do. And we are called upon as the people of God to do everything we can to rebuff that in the way that we live. I love how the Apostle Paul said it to to Timothy. Here is young Timothy. And Paul says in in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 12, uh, let no one or let don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith. Impurity. How are you supposed to deal with the naysayers? Set an example in your words, in your life, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to the preaching and teaching. Just devote yourself to the Word and keep living how you're supposed to live. That is what Nehemiah is doing. He's just like, you can say all the things you want to say. You can try to ruin me. You can try to bring in these false prophets to get me to sin. I'm going to live a model life so that I will not be discredited. And there's a huge bonus, huge picture of Nehemiah in his willingness to live his life that way. This leads to probably one of the most amazing endings 
even though the book is only halfway over. Verse 15. And so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Uel in 52 days. We've covered six chapters. Did that sound like only 52 days went by? You would think this has been going on for months and months, maybe even years, which is something fascinating to consider. That means all of this opposition and pain and and difficulty and all these hardships have been all in less than two months. He's been going through a lot. This isn't just like one thing and then he gets three weeks off and then another thing and then he gets a month off and then another thing and then maybe a couple months go by and then something else pops up. This is like every day to get these many things happening within a 52-day period. Man, Nehemiah is going through a lot. And yet in spite of all of that, it is stunning the success. It only took them 52 days. You thought about that? You would think restoring the walls and putting the gates back up and putting everything back intact and securing the city back to its safe form would take more than two months, 52 days. I want to spend this last paragraph talking about focusing on the success. Notice verse 16. And when all of our enemies heard it, all the nations around us were afraid And greatly fell in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Arah, the son of Jehoiada, who had been the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. And they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. What a a stunning ending to how this section unfolds. The the walls are complete and you'd think, okay, now we're done. No more troubles, right? Now we're certainly set. The the walls and the gates, were the work is complete. And I want you to notice there was some power in the success of what happened. It says in verse 16 that the nations were afraid because they realized the work had been accomplished by the help of God. In those 52 days, God was with them and gave them success. In all of that adversity, Nehemiah was not supposed to read the tea leaves of adversity and think, well, I guess we shouldn't be building this wall. It sure is hard. 52 days of extraordinary difficulty. And God was with them every step of the way to get this this work done. It was because of God that they had the success. It was because of God they could overcome the obstacles. It was because of God they were able to reach that finish line. You really want this to all end at verse 16. I really want all this to end at verse 16. But how the chapter ends is not only stunning, but truly a testament to Nehemiah's willingness to deal with such adversity. We're told something absolutely fascinating in in all of this. It tells us in those days that the nobles of Judah, so the the important people of, of, of the country here, they are sending letters to Tobiah. 
and Tobias sending letters back. There's correspondence. Now Tobias one of these three guys. They're the ringleaders of trouble. And I want you to notice it says in verse 18 that there, there's some of them are bound to him by oath because, because of marriage. But can you imagine verse 19? I just want to just, just visualize verse 19. Verse 19 says, they spoke of his, Tobiah. They spoke of Tobiah's good deeds in my presence. I've got to think Nehemiah's face fell off when that was going on. I mean, you've got to be kidding me. You're going to talk about Tobiah and the good things he's doing? He's been an opponent every step of the way. He's a troublemaker. He's causing problems. He's against us. He's spreading rumors and lies. He's trying to get me killed. He's trying to have me sin. He's trying to tell everybody I'm starting a rebellion. He's hiring prophets and trying to get them to sin, get me to sin. And you're going to come and tell me that Tobiah's a good guy and look at all the good things that he's been doing? Oh, (laughs) who would not be outraged? Not only that, verse 19 says, apparently everything that Nehemiah was saying was going back to Tobiah. Fantastic. So glad my enemies know all of my plans and all of my efforts and all that I'm trying to do. I want you to see that while Nehemiah is so devoted to doing this work, there were a lot of people who didn't see who the opponents were. In fact, not only did they not see who the opponents were, they thought Tobiah was one of the good guys. They thought Tobiah was part of the success. Oh, look at all the good things he's doing. Look at his good deeds. He's, he's been so helpful. Good old Tobiah. He, he, he's been great these 52 days. I want us to observe something that I think is, is so important. Is that nobody was seeing what Tobiah was doing. But God did. Tobiah had fooled the whole country, apparently. Everybody's all for him. Oh, yeah, he's fantastic. Nobles are supporting him, sending letters to him, bound by oath to him because of marriage. And nobody knew what Tobiah was doing against the work and how much Nehemiah was dealing with that situation to get the work done. I bring this up because it is so important to remember It might be that absolutely nobody sees the work you're doing. And it might be that not only do they not see the work you're doing, they're going to credit it to the wrong person. (laughs) And not only may they not see the work you're doing and credit to the wrong person, they might credit to the one person who was actually trying to stop you every step of the way. But God sees God knew what Tobiah was doing and God knew what Nehemiah was doing. And I hope that gives maybe a little bit of insight into why almost every chapter ends with Nehemiah saying, oh God, see my works. See what I'm doing. You know how I'm trying to do good for you because apparently nobody else understood. 
Nobody else saw what Nehemiah was enduring from these guys and how much Nehemiah had invested himself into that work. I think it's a great final lesson. Focus on the success that God can give. Don't worry about the credit. Don't worry about if somebody pats you on the back. Don't worry if the credit goes the wrong place. Don't worry if the people who are trying to keep you from doing doing the work other people praise and think they're so spiritual. Keep doing the work. Remain remote, devoted to the task. Focus, not a bunch of talk. Focus, not afraid. Focus, not willing to sin. Focus on that success that God can give if you will give yourself to the work that God has before you. Let's go to God in prayer this evening. Uh, Heavenly Father, boy, thank you for a servant like Nehemiah. Thank you for his dedication and his absolute steadfastness to the work that you gave him to do. And thank you for recording all that he had as obstacles and all of the difficulties he faced and for recording for us how he was able to endure those hardships. Lord, I pray that you would give us the kind of focus that Nehemiah had to the work that we have. Give us the kind of focus that does not shrink back, but rather give us such a devotion to want to do your work in the various areas that we have in our lives with the various gifts that you've given us, with the various opportunities you present to us. Lord, thank you that we do not have to be afraid but that you give us opportunity to continue to look toward your success, to do your great work, because we know that your work is so important. It is the only thing. And so, Lord, help us to focus on that, not to focus on ourselves or what opponents are doing or how hard it may be, how challenging or uncomfortable it is. But, Lord, I pray that you would do such a work in our lives as individuals and such a work in our lives as this church in this area, that it would be such a light to the world that just as it was in Nehemiah's day, people would be able to say, clearly God is with them and has given them success. Lord, help us to be those workers and give us the focus we need so that we can be your people as you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.